0: Welcome back to America's leading higher education podcast, The EdUp Experience, where we make education your business. Hosts Dr. Joe Salustio, Elizabeth Leiba, and producer Elvin Freitas bring you the brightest and most influential minds in higher education today. We explore innovations, ideas, and issues in higher education and beyond, and hopefully have a little fun along the way. Now let's get to it. Interested in some fresh marketing ideas that have been real-world tested by colleges and universities and actually work? We'd love to share. Come download MDT Marketing's free 2020 Marketing Strategies Guide, filled with stats and highlights on digital marketing initiatives exclusively for colleges and universities. Download the Strategies Guide for free at learn.mdtmarketing.com. MDT Marketing has been a leader in delivering marketing solutions for institutes of higher education since 1995. Come leverage our knowledge and download our strategies guide at learn.mdtmarketing.com. Welcome back, everybody. This is the Edup Experience, where we make education your business, interviewing the brightest and most influential minds in higher education and beyond, the mighty Influential phenom, always with me, Elizabeth Leiba. Elizabeth, how are you today?
1: I love that mighty influential. Can I write that down so that I can prompt you for next time? You don't Please. need to
0: write it down. I've already written it down. So
1: <laughs> Perfect.
0: That, that's, love uh, it. Yeah, and you know, uh, and I said this, uh, and I think it deserves to be said repeatedly that you wrote an op-ed article for CNN recently that had over two million views of your article talking about your experience um, uh, with uh, justice, if you will, and, and uh, you'll have to read for more, but uh, it was pretty incredible, Liz. Congratulations.
1: Thank you so much. I appreciate that. It's still kind of a little bit surreal, so I'm still taking it in, but I do appreciate you saying that.
0: Well, we want to get to talk, and we have an incredible guest for for you all today. Um, on the line at this very moment, Dr. Joyce Jacobson. She's president of Hobart and William Smith Colleges. Joyce, welcome to the Edup Experience. How are you today? Thank you. So glad to be here. Well, you know, we we like to just jump right in, put you on the hot seat, ask you all the serious, really hard questions. No, we don't really do that. Um, but but the most important question that we have to ask you: How is your health, and how is your family?
2: We are all fine still. We have been blessed so far to be spared any um, any issues. So happy to have that be the case still, and hope to stay that way.
0: I love hearing that. I you know. You just never know what the answer is going to be right now as things go up and down, if you were, with the, uh, with the coronavirus. So, you know, that's a, a good, uh, good place for us to start. Talk to us about what's happening at Hobart and William Smith Colleges. How are you operating right now? Um, you know, we're coming to the end, I'd say, of our fall, fall term. Um, you know, how have things gone for you so far, and what, and what does the future look like right now?
2: Well, it's it's been, as you might imagine, I think every president sitting here would say the same thing. It's been quite a challenge and quite a roller coaster. I think we managed to navigate it pretty well. We did start as open, uh, and we managed to make it through the term as open. We basically, as many schools did, particularly in this area of the country and upstate New York and northeast in general, decided to pivot to remote after Thanksgiving break and also drop any kind of fall break, which it was tough for the students to have to go straight through. Um, But by doing that, we basically managed to stay open um, from late August. We really were already letting students in early August because of quarantining. So pretty much been open August, September, October, and November up to the Tuesday before spring uh, excuse me Thanksgiving break and then had just three days of classes to do remotely this week and now we're in our reading period and finals period which will end next Friday, which is done remote, but we do still have students on campus as well, we did not close campus at any point. um, And we are including to have students on campus if they choose to stay with us at this point, uh, including some students who will be with us all the way to the spring. Uh, given the situation sometimes in their home areas. So we did make it through, there were various scares along the way. Uh, We did have students in quarantine and isolation at various points. I'm not happy to have had cases, but I was happy that none of the cases turned out to be um, serious medically. We never had to bring a doctor in or by any means send anyone to the hospital. We had um, no faculty infected. I think as many colleges experienced this fall, we found that we did not really have spread issues of the virus on our formal activities, no issues to classrooms, um, dining halls, libraries, or even our recreation center. Um, all cases were pretty much traced back to small group interactions, um, which is kind of where we knew there would always be an issue.
0: Uh, controlling the activity of young minds. That's yeah. uh, always the challenge, right? What they're gonna, uh, folks it's are easy. gonna do outside of the classroom.
2: Indeed, I think that's the challenge. You know, boyfriend, girlfriend situations, small groups getting together for parties. So nobody violated our social regulations. Uh, We did have students sign an expanded um, code related to COVID, but they were very good the whole time about wearing masks. They wore masks in class, they wore masks when passing between class, um, and, you know, really not any violations of any serious nature related to their behavior. I was really duly impressed by everyone. And it shows if you do it correctly, um, it can be done. And we did test regularly also. We tested everybody upon entry. Uh, We were in the Broad Institute group where we would basically have tests driven to Cambridge. We partnered up with Hamilton College and uh, shared a courier service. And then near the end of the term, we were also granted um, free uh, rapid tests thanks to the state of New York, um, giving those out to colleges, which allowed us actually to get onto symptomatic cases Is even quicker, and so we're planning to basically continue that strategy. Uh, We did random um, surveillance testing throughout the term, basically broke up the whole campus into groups related on where you lived, um, what team you might be on or other social group, would test at least one person out of each of those. If we got a positive, we went in and tested everybody else, and we were able basically to contain spread through really aggressive contact tracing and quick isolation and quarantine and therefore able to make it through the semester. But again, a challenge at every point along the way.
0: That that entire summary you gave, by the way, my microphone just shifted. I don't know if this sounds better for, for you guys, but uh, you know, technical difficulties. Uh, but that whole summary that you gave is in a nutshell, in a tremendous amount of work, right? You just made it, I don't know how long that was, like a 30 second summary or minute, minute long summary. But the amount of work that went into creating that summary is absolutely tremendous. It takes a huge commitment from staff and faculty. How have your staff, particularly your management team, responded and what's impressed you most about, uh, about your administration and the way that they've serviced students?
2: No, and I really appreciate you bringing that up because indeed, I mean, we started planning for the fall and really for the spring as well, basically last March, as soon as we did our pivot to uh, full remote at that point. And it was really a very intense summer planning. Uh, we worked heavily with our uh, on-campus partner Sedexo, that does our dining and our buildings and ground services and really developed protocols for the entire campus for the cleaning protocol, um, for how we were gonna do dining, um, mapped out every single classroom and figured out how to basically de-densify all spaces, including dormitory spaces. It was an enormous amount of work. Um, Student affairs bore bore a lot of that brunt, but obviously a lot of work on the part of the faculty and academic affairs staff on figuring out how to redo classes. We basically let faculty pick their mode of instruction. Um, Some chose to stay full in-person, some went hybrid with partial remote, partial in-person, and some went full remote. Um, And we ended up with about three quarters of the courses with at least some in person, probably about 40% fully in person, which again was probably a higher percentage than most schools were able to pull off, but we had the classrooms to do it. But just the enormous amount of planning and then basically airing out those plans so that all our constituents, our students, our faculty, our staff, our parents and even the alums and of course the trustees getting to see what the beta plan was, getting feedback, doing the final plan. You know, looking back, it's it's amazing that schools were able to do this. Because really? you're like, mm-hmm. how did we do that? You know, it's amazing how people rose to the occasion. And it's obviously been, you know, under an exhausting time because you just have to be on every day lately. I'm, I'm really looking forward to the winter break this year.
0: I bet, I bet you are, I bet your mm. staff is too. Oh yeah. Uh, uh, people have probably been working tirelessly um, yes. and, 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 you know, without break to, because the students, you know, uh, demand it, and it, they need to be taken care of. It's, it's part of the deal of working in education. Now, by the way, Liz, and I don't know if you know this, but uh, uh, President, uh, I'm sorry, the Hobart and William Smith College is in upstate New York, very close to Syracuse, New York, where I grew up. So, you know, uh, it is a beautiful, beautiful area. Uh, mm. to go to college, let me just say that.
2: Thank thank you for bringing that up. But I think that's been one of the reasons we were so anxious to have students come back. It is a less crowded area of the country. It's really um, an area you can sort of walk around and get some time. And it was so important, I think, for students to be able to be out walking around, be able to do physical exercise. What we were blessed with good weather this fall too, thank goodness. So a lot of classes actually met outside fairly regularly and indeed tried to incorporate more outside activities in some of the courses. Mm. So, that yeah. sounds beautiful you've got to see it lovely
0: area well teaching classes outside is every faculty member's dream don't you think liz
1: i would love to have classes outside i'm in south florida so obviously not as conducive to being outside but i'm really curious about what were some of the lessons learned because you really gave like joe said such a great breakdown of what some of the challenges were and how uh, you were able to navigate that and how your class uh, your, your staff was able to step up and and just really meet those challenges. But what are some of the things the big takeaways and maybe some advice that you would have as campuses shift into the new term and try to figure out and navigate this new normal? What are some of the things the, the things that stood out to you that were really salient in terms of you moving forward and, and being able to do this successfully?
2: Right. Thanks for asking that, Liz. Well, I think one thing we learned is that testing, testing, testing is really important. Mm. And certainly the schools that did heavier testing seem to have had the better results. I'd Mm. say we were were not the heaviest tester. We did not test everybody twice a week. Um, I think we will up our testing actually in the spring, probably test everybody immediately upon entry and probably three to five days after that. Um, The quarantine periods have been reduced now, thanks to um, having more tests available. So I think the main thing is, you know, getting right on the contact tracing and our student affairs staff had an almost uncanny knowledge of basically who was friends with whom and who was living where, and it really (laughs) needed us to be able to do that very quick contact tracing. And I'm proud to say we had no evidence that we, of any spread that we caused off campus either, because we are right in a community, beautiful beautiful city of Geneva, about 13,000 people. And of course, that was a big concern coming in. Um, so I'd say for everybody it's very important to just stay in touch with the local um, local folks. Also we've been basically in daily contact with the Ontario County um, Public Health Department as they've been basically our best friends and really coordinated very effectively with them where they let us do a lot of the contact tracing even as they also maintain responsibility. So I think that close contact with the local public health authorities Uh, was good for us and again we learned the lesson that it's just very important to stay in constant contact and really we sent out basically weekly messages to our constituencies just updating them we had a a dashboard that we updated daily we'll obviously keep that going at this point a lot of people have said you know you really can't give us too much information at this point people want to know they want to know immediately they want to know what the prevalence is they want to know the types of cases we never released information that we shouldn't have, but I think people were reassured to understand kind of what types of cases were coming along. Was it a student, was it a staff, um, was it a person on campus and providing that kind of information and in almost real time has I think been helpful. And so mainly I think we learned that we need to just keep up what we were doing um, and not let up because of course now it looks like it will still be a very challenging period at the beginning of the semester. And we mm-hmm. need to keep, keep, the, keep that in control.
1: Are there things that you did or, or anything that you incorporated maybe from a student services aspect? You talked about how the student affairs um, staff was really uncanny ability of knowing who was who and who was friends with who. Are there things or lessons or policies or strategies that you were able to adapt during this period that you feel like would be helpful post COVID? Just things that maybe you were able to do and like, wow, that was, that was a good thing that we were able to adapt there. Maybe that's something that will be helpful even after all of this is over.
2: That's a great question and I think we have learned a lot. We've learned that Zoom can be a really effective tool for reaching out to people. Mm. I think we've learned, I mean, I'm thinking myself if I was on the road traveling, if I was at a conference as a professor, I could still potentially hold my class uh, Mm -hmm. by Zoom. And so I think that actually gives us some options. I think a number of schools have already figured out that they don't need to have snow days anymore because they could Mm -hmm. switch Zoom. So there's, you know, you don't get the traditional uh, snow day anymore, Um, I think. (laughs) Speaking of mental health issues, I think we've learned that tele- telehealth is a powerful tool also, both for mental health and physical health issues, mm. Not particularly mental, that actually students responded positively in many cases to have that 24-7 access to mental health services that we can't provide in physical space. Uh, And I think that's something we've learned that actually, you know, I think we were worried there would be resistance, but people actually responded positively to expanding that service. And I think we'd certainly like to keep that going as one of the tools that we use to address mental health issues going forward.
0: How has, uh, what's your, um, what's the impact been? You know, coronavirus wise, to um, enrollment. I'm guessing, do you guys like, but, uh, I would just guess around maybe 2,500 students, 3,000 students somewhere in there?
2: Yeah, we're a little smaller than that. I'd say we try to be, we're in the 1,800 to 2,200 range, depending on the year. Uh, I'd say we're a little lower right now, probably around 1,800 more. Um, But again, 92% of our students did come back to campus. Obviously there were some international students that literally were not able to get here. We're hoping many of them will be able to join us in the spring. Some students did take a leave or defer. So we do have some first year students and returning students coming back in January, hopefully. Um, so numbers are down certainly I think that's been true for many colleges. Um, yes. Our admissions numbers are running up right now so I think that is partly a response to the fact we were open and we were able to run tours really starting in July we brought tours back in. And I think the campuses that were more open are seeing better numbers for admissions right now because it's hard for students to visualize their life at a campus if they haven't seen it. Uh, I think that's helped us out to have actually been open this fall. Um, so we're hoping to rebound from that. Um, but, you know, in some sense, it was also good to have the smaller numbers because that meant it was fewer people that we had to manage uh, and that we were able to de-densify our on-campus housing and our dining more effectively. So I see it as, you know, sort of a two-edged sword. Obviously, financially, it's been a challenge for all colleges and universities right now, yeah. um, but it also made it doable that we were a little bit down on enrollment this year.
0: Yeah, you know, the, the there is a, the cost of, of testing, of providing PPE, of, of devoting your resources to tracking and contact tracing and all of these extra expenses that now exist, uh, you know, it puts a strain on overall resources for colleges and universities at any level, every level, I should say. And we've been hearing that uh, as we've talked to other presidents from small universities, from large universities, if you want to do it, in a safe way and remain open, you do have a cost that you incur. And, you know, I think that's not as discussed openly as, um, you know, as often as it probably should be, but there is a lot of work and a lot of money that goes into providing a safe campus. Can you talk a little bit about that?
2: Sure, and as we mentioned earlier, of course, a lot of that fell on our actual employees uh, because in some sense, it is harder to work in this environment. Not only do we have to you know, create new protocols for everything like cleaning and dining, but the faculty also had to deal with the case that even if they were teaching an in-person class, there might've been a student in quarantine at that point that they would also have to accommodate either through setting up a Zoom link or some other method. So it was definitely more work on everybody. And that since there's that hidden cost of everybody's time having to be spent um, dealing with this very challenging issue. And then the out-of-pocket costs, as you mentioned, I mean, the testing through the Broad Institute, we were able to get our tests down to, I think $25 a test, um, you know, where the list price, I think would have been more like 125 for a PCR You can tell I'm an economist, so I'm very interested in the the cost structures. Yes, you
0: can tell. (laughs) That's good. That's good.
2: Yeah, it's this trade off about, you know, how much are we willing to spend for safety um, to get to the appropriate level of safety? Would there have been more that we could have done? Um, Possibly, but then was it worth it on the margin, as economists always like to say, to spend the additional money? Um, And so there were obviously choices we sometimes made about that. Most of the choices we didn't have to make. We were blessed with a campus where the housing is more spread out so we could keep more of it online. Uh, We had enough space in classrooms for the most part, so we were able to offer everybody the experience to come back. But it's certainly a large cost. I think for the campuses that fully closed, um, the costs are even larger, though. And that was something we certainly thought about, uh, that we want to be able to provide the experience to people, but we also want to keep everybody employed. And I was very happy to be able to not have to lay off any workers um, because of this. That was an important point for me, that we were all going to share this together and not have to have some people laid off while others were still working and, of course, working harder. And the colleges that closed completely and did full remote, I think, have incurred much larger um, costs um, due to basically not charging room and board and other costs related to students maybe not coming as much. So there's yeah, big trade-offs.
0: Yeah, it, it, it's um, it, no matter how you look at it, there is some investment somewhere in some way when the problems compound themselves in the way that they have. You know, you you talked about enrollment being you know mostly relatively flat, down a little bit, but it sounds like you're you're doing uh doing relatively well. You know, there's a lot of uh, prognosticators out there about closing colleges, about uh, schools, especially those between let's say a thousand and 5,000 students, you know, where 10%, 15% decline in enrollment, becomes a real, a real significant um, drop in tuition that affects the bottom line in, in pretty significant ways. You're looking towards spring now, you know, you're looking towards your, your, your next term. And as a college president, fortunately or unfortunately in this environment, you've got to think forward and without much information, right? You've, you know, it's not like uh, even if there is a a, uh, uh, antibodies that get released and and uh, people go out and get the um, um, the uh, vaccine boy I couldn't even think of that word for a second that's how that's how far away it seems to me is I can't even think of the word uh, uh, yeah yeah that uh, that you still have to operate and you have to operate in a way that's going to provide the education to your students but but you're also hopeful that things get back to normal as quickly as possible so how do you work through that hey guys this is Joe you heard from MDT Marketing at the beginning of the episode. Please take the time to go to learn.mdtmarketing.com to download their 2020 Marketing Strategies Guide for free. Yes, I just said for free. I've known the team at MDT Marketing probably going on 15 years. Their uh, president, Mitch Talenfeld, and I talk all the time. You know, these guys are super knowledgeable. They want to help higher education institutions succeed, no strings, go download the guide, learn.mdtmarketing.com. We all need tips. Now that schools are operating online, this guide will give you those digital tips. Go download it.
2: Right. I think part of our playbook is basically what we've learned from the fall, as I indicated, again, testing probably even a little more intensively at the beginning, um, using more of these rapid tests now that we have them available. And one thing that sort of helped on the cost side, I mean, it's sad but we had to close down a lot of things we would normally do. We weren't able to run our study abroad. We are a school that is known for our study abroad programs. And so we had to basically shut those down. We're also known for our athletics. We couldn't run a fall season. We have canceled winter season. We still have hopes for our spring season. We have a, a very good division one men's lacrosse team. We would love to have them play. Um, so I think that, but the flip side is that, is that you know the costs that we would normally have for travel, for referees, Um, et cetera, have all dropped. So that has kind of helped on the cost side. Similarly, like I'm not traveling. Normally I would have been on the road a lot more this year. We're not traveling, we're not entertaining. So there have been offsets on costs. I think the challenge for many colleges is next year, um, we have to put everything back in place. And, be, and again, if, if enrollment stays down, that will be a challenge for colleges to basically have to provide the full suit of activities that we would normally do if enrollment stays down and how people are going to handle that. So the spring, I think we're still, we started the year with a balanced budget. We're still hopeful we can manage to stay balanced, um, but it's been a challenge. We did furlough. Um, staff and that was a challenge for us to have to do that but we wanted to do that early while the employment uh, the unemployment kickups were still in place um, so as to mitigate that cost and with that assistance of furloughs and pay cuts of of a similar nature for those that couldn't furlough we were able to balance the budget Uh, but you know we are obviously we would have to draw on endowment more heavily if we are not able to um, offset all costs and of course the pay you know we didn't do paycheck protection because we're too large for that but we did get CARES Act money. And so we were basically able to pretty much balance off our costs from last spring. Uh, we have a potentially balanced budget for this year. And again, you know, just you know, knock on wood that everything goes according to plan still for the spring, too. But you know, these things, there were some mitigating loss and costs. And I think people have not brought that up as clearly because for many schools, including us, it included things like having to furlough or in some cases, people laid off or reduced departments. And that's a painful to have to put people out of work at such a tough time. And again, I'm glad we didn't have to lay off anybody as part of this, but we did also freeze some of our hiring or slow down our hiring as well.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think if you can come out of this <clears throat> without having to reduce it for low staff, it's a it's a huge accomplishment, I think. Cause it's uh, you're probably in the at least from the the uh, institutions and presidents we've spoken to in the minority, uh, you know, the vast majority of schools across the country have made some expense cuts in some way that have affected people and in that way. And Liz, I'm gonna keep you know how I get when we when I start talking numbers, I'm gonna keep firing them off the Joyce, if you and Unless you jump in and ask something more <laughs> exciting.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, I always am curious about when we're thinking about the, the thought leaders and some of the different articles that are coming out all over the spectrum, uh, speculating about the future of higher education. I'm always curious for those that work in liberal arts area and for students that are served by the smaller, more intimate setting, how you feel about the, the future of higher education in terms of your particular type of school. You know, sometimes there's a lot of, I, I say Joe gets offended, but I hope offended is the right word, but you know, you have these, these uh, prognosticators that are saying, you know, this emotional.
0: Emotional, emotional.
1: Yeah. I don't want to say you get offended. I think I'm getting emotional (laughs) right now. emotional because, you know, you have these leaders, uh, thought leaders that don't necessarily work in, you know, these areas, but then they're saying, well, this type of school is not going to do well or that type of school is not going to do well. How do you feel about your particular type of school and, and what, you're doing for your students or how you're serving your students and and how that fits into the grand scheme of things moving forward into the new normal post-covid and the new you know i guess when we're thinking about education as a sector how we're all evolving how does your type of school fit into that spectrum
2: sure uh you know my type of school is basically you know one of the smaller schools so i think there are liberal arts colleges some are national like our college where we draw nationally for our student body some are regional but they're all trying to provide basically a smaller, more intimate, more where everybody knows each other type of experience. Mm. And I was one of the people who actually went out early and hopefully I'll still be right when this, when we come out the other side of this with you know, a local editorial that said, you know I think this will actually underscore how important the residential mm. in-person experience is. And certainly mm. our students said that. I mean, we surveyed our students before we decided whether or not to open and well over 70% of them said, you know we wanna be back, we wanna be back in person. And I think that they understand, and it's not obviously it's partly about teaching and the learning, but it's about creating a community. You make your lifelong friends often in college that you carry with you the rest of your life. Spending that formative time in a 24-7 environment is really key. And again, you know, that was the sad thing. We weren't able to do as much of that kind of community building as we would normally be able to do because of all the issues with social uh, distancing, et cetera. But at least they were able to do some of that. And to build on that, I think it was probably easier for students who weren't just starting college. I mean, my heart really goes out to the students who graduated last spring, had their senior year in high school disrupted, and then had to start their first year of college under this because that's just so disruptive. Um, But for the older ones, the ones who'd already been in school, at least they're having, they met people last year or the last couple of years, they were able to contact people. And people crave connection. I mean, that is just so clear. We're all missing touch, you know, just those casual touches of, you know, ha- shaking hands or hugging friends you know we have our close family with us often but we don't have those other connectors and that is so important and I think the whole digital age and the idea that somehow this will replace that in-person contact is just so so un- uh, untrue and I mean I think liberal arts colleges though they are they're tough 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 birds and these prognosticators who say half of them are going to disappear they are clearly going to be wrong um, mm-hmm. these colleges stick stick through they're scrappy Uh, You think they might fall over the edge, but they hang in there because they have dedicated students, they have dedicated alums, they do have to downsize sometimes uh, and become smaller, but in some sense that can actually improve the community on campuses. I think there's certainly a place for them. It doesn't mean everybody's going to survive this or that everybody will last the next decade, but this is an important educational option to keep available, both for our country and for the world, because it is really actually kind of unique in this country to have these liberal arts colleges. You don't find them in other countries this degree absolutely
1: for someone that went to school for i went to school for journalism i teach english so i feel as though a lot of times there is somewhat of maybe not an understanding of just how much that type of education and some of the skills that you learn in some of those more humanities related fields do apply to almost anything that you would want to do in life so i definitely, um, someone that's of the mindset that there's definitely a lot of value in humanities and liberal arts and and in that residential experience that uh, Joe experienced, I experienced that, you know, that that residential experience that a lot of us did do are growing up in those, um, those types of environments. So I definitely agree with that. What do you feel about the, as you mentioned this a little bit before, about the mental health aspect and about what some of the lessons learned might be in that such a small environment where students are relying on each other and in that sense of community is there. What are some lessons learned do you think that we can as a sector in higher education take away from this? Because I think sometimes there's a little bit of a stigma in terms of thinking about how important community is, how important relationships and relationship building are on campus, just the intimate relationships, not necessarily like football games and the big aspects of it, but just the one-on-one communication and if students feel comfortable and having the ability to talk to someone if they're struggling, what are some of the things that you learned about that? And what are some of the things that you will take with you moving forward as um, in your leadership on campus?
2: Well, certainly, I mean, some of the people that were most key during this period were, for instance, our, our dean's office, where we have student deans, we have six student deans. Um, And they spent a lot of time working with students specifically thinking about what is the right mix of courses to take, I mean they always do that, but there was sort of this added aspect of the mode of whether it's remote or in person or hybrid. Uh, What if you're having issues, what if you have to go into quarantine, what if you're you have COVID. Uh, And they were so key to have that relationship that students felt that there were people on this campus that they could talk to, uh, many of whom talked to those deans they're also the residential life Folks, uh, and of course the faculty as well. I think the faculty certainly stepped up and spent a lot of time um, talking to students both through having virtual office hours or in some cases in-person meetings, just to make sure, hi, how are you doing? How are you feeling? But I do think we also learned that students are resilient, um, mm-hmm. that and this is true not only at my college, but at many others, they were put into situations in some places with full lockdowns for the whole campus for two weeks or longer. Um, In our case, you know, certain individuals or groups were in lockdown for two weeks or longer and they they survived through it. I hope they look back on this period, which obviously was very gonna be a, a salient period in all of our lives going forward and really feel proud about the fact that they carried through on this time, this difficult time and that they learned something about their own resilience from this and that resilience includes that you often need to rely on other people and speak to other people and tell them how you're feeling, but that nonetheless they were able to cope. And interestingly, I mean, many of the issues we normally have on campuses were actually somewhat reduced this fall. I'm sure that was true for other campuses also. Uh, We had many fewer other types of, say, social contract breaking, like, um, you know, excessive drinking or um, sexual assault, Um, The reports are down on those things and I don't think it's just because people aren't reporting them. I think they weren't happening. I mean, it's kind of an interesting side effect of having the the social distancing aspects. But it makes you think a little bit about what colleges are normally like, which is that colleges are stressful at all times. Um, Social interactions, well, I just argued that it's very important to go through them. They are also challenging for, I mean, it's very challenging for late adolescence, um, people in their early 20s. The social status matters a lot, um, how you're making connections. Um, and it'll be interesting to see how they come out of this period, including all the younger kids that were also in these types of hybrid or remote situations. And if they I'm read this, so only- glad
1: you said that, because I think that you bring up a salient point. That I don't think that we've talked about is that development of maybe an equalizer, somewhat of an equalizer. And I hate to say this because this is a pandemic and it's very tragic what's happened here but maybe it's helped us to develop a sense of empathy where the, it's almost like we're all on the same playing field, students from different areas and walks of life, even faculty and student, I feel that sometimes we have become a lot more empathetic because we're struggling and the students are struggling and we can all kind of relate. I, you know, My boss is struggling and I'm struggling. We're all, it's like, there's it's almost like everyone's the same across the board. Is that something that you've noticed or?
2: I love that you brought that up because I don't think I'd really articulated it until we're having this conversation. Yeah, right. It is, like, it is a moment of great commonality. And it's interesting because many, like some of our older alums often complain that we don't have a good common experience. We're one of the schools that used to have a Western civilization um, curriculum that everybody had to take a certain set of courses when they came in. And people from that era are very Uh, fond of that and thought it was important that everybody do the same thing. And there Mm -hmm. is this issue about what are these commonalities that we have not only in college, but in society. And here is a giant commonality that Mm -hmm. not only everybody in this country has now dealt with, but everybody really in the world Mm -hmm. that we can all say this was something that humankind dealt with. I think that's actually a really great insight. You just had Liz, of thinking about that. No, you
1: helped me with that. You totally (laughs) sparked that revelation.
2: (laughs) We mutually had a revelation on this. I'm going to start using this actually. That was great. (laughs) Yeah, for sure.
1: What do you say, Joe?
0: Um. Yeah. Yes. I agree. And uh, <laughs> yes. for for whatever reason, I can't seem to have these revelation moments with with guests. List. So uh, you know, you get all the glory here at the <laughs> experience.
1: <laughs> well, maybe you sparked <laughs> it because remember you had your ironing board was your desk, so that was a few oh, years in the very beginning. So that probably sparked <laughs> yeah. this. And I've been thinking about it and ruminating on it for the past yeah, couple no, of months. Yeah. I was looking so. for that
0: picture today. Uh, you know, I had a post on LinkedIn talking about uh, talking about our podcast setup experience, and my new desk is shown. My new stand-up desk, where I, you know, I stand up, which is an amazing, amazing thing. And I was looking for that photo; I couldn't find it. But you know, that's um, that that's a interesting point. And you're absolutely right. I mean, the commonality factor is certainly, certainly there. One thing that I want to ask you before we leave the leave the issue, just taking a quick step back to to students. You taught you guys were talking about residential. And online and, you know, the fact that, you know, students really want to be on campus and, and that's true. Are you going to see, do you think, a demand, sorry, my my uh, garage door, every time somebody goes in and out of my house, it goes ding, 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 and it makes its way into every episode. It's the work from home environment we live. Uh, back to the question. Do you think students are going to demand a different type of educational uh, a Delivery meaning you have on-ground ca- classes in one category, you have a- online classes in another category. Is it feasible to think that that you would have a student or students or a group of students that uh, that say you know I want to go to go to this class two days a week, but I want to take it online two days a week, and I want to go if it's a choice, but I want to be in my dorm taking the class if if I ha- you know if I don't feel like going in that day. You think you're going to see a demand for like a, a hybrid type model?
2: You know, that's a great point. I think the faculty are interested in that also. We've already had some faculty come forward and say, you know, I have thought actually that this might work going forward to be more hybrid in general. And certainly actually at faculty meeting this morning, people were bringing up that there were some classes where they were running it with the option to attend in person or remotely. And over the term, some of the classes shifted so more people were attending remotely. I'm not sure that was a good thing necessarily. Uh, I'm not sure we want to encourage that, but it's interesting to just think in general, it's going to just make it more possible to have continuity of classes if you can provide the remote option and control that so that students are really engaged sufficiently. I think there was certainly concern from other faculty that they were not always sure students were fully engaged if they were in the Zoom setting, including turning off their camera so you can't tell what they're doing. Um, other faculty didn't seem to think it was an issue. So just as with all pedagogical modes, faculty responded differently to to what happened. But I do think it's clearly another tool in our arsenal. And as somebody who's sort of an advocate for not using much paper, uh, when I came here, I would kind of pick on people. and <laughs> Paper to me, and so I'm like, can you just send me that? Because I just read everything on my iPad or my laptop, basically. Um, you know, it's kind of a boon because it really got everybody realizing that digital is really the way to go. That you don't want to have to go into your office to get a file on a student; you want to be able to pull it up on your computer. And if you want to print it out at home, but have access to it. And so I think it has moved people to understand that for a lot of our routine work, um, trying to stay full digital is important. And sharing screens, um, sharing Google Docs, a lot of things that some of us were doing already, but as now gotten much more widespread, I think will continue to operate and just enhance things. But again, I still think there's nothing, and for certain classes, it's clear that um, in-person is just so much preferable. I think of many music courses. I mean, they're doing it they can, but they are anxious to get back in person and have choir in person. Theater, they did it socially distance, but there's only some plays you can do that way, not others. Um, lab classes, I think most labs still have to be in person. Uh, many art classes also. There's so many that just, you know, we can make do but it's really not the same as being in three dimensions and um maybe you know i think it will vary though and it will be interesting to see how much this holds over and whether everybody stays clearly completely zoom able or not as we move forward in time
0: yeah one my, my one of my big questions is always and i think we see it with this generation of kids and it's going to continue to get even more Uh, more prevalent is the digital native somebody that's just used to being online whether it's tied to their phone or tied you know facetiming everybody and in that uh, environment becomes more normal than going to school in person it's always a a fascinating thing to consider i always think about (laughs) zoom and turning off your camera is the same as you know because you can never really tell if a person's engaged or not it's if you go back to the days when we were all actually in physical cor- uh, courses and classes in a big lecture hall and you had your your book out in front of you but inside your book you had another book like a reading right. book or a magazine or that's what I think uh, turning off your camera on zoom is because you mm-hmm. could be in the classroom reading something I'm doing my homework for another class and in, in this class it's you never truly know unless you call on that person right <laughs> you know, you know what's happening it's it's going to be fascinating to see how technology continues to Evolve the student as much as it does the institution,
2: and the the etiquette also of how you do these things. Like, what is the etiquette? But I think you know. Again, you know, there are meetings where you have to be all in, and you should be fully paying attention. Others you maybe don't need. I mean, in my own work life, that's certainly true. I think in everybody's, and understanding when you need to be all in, when you don't. I do worry that that digital natives have trouble maybe with deep reading or deep learning. Um, and that is one of the writing. colleges exactly yeah. that colleges can train you to do so that we're not all just in short form quick turnaround but we do also know how to do longer form uh, but maybe that's just old-fashioned to me to think that longer form matters
0: old-fashioned is kind of be, going to be in style I think you know it's <laughs> right. go, going and getting a, I had a meeting earlier today and I was talking to somebody that really enjoyed it and it was like you know I, I hope we can get together someday in the future for coffee it's it's instead of it being the norm that we would have already done it you know now i'm just used to being on camera all the time and getting together <laughs> with somebody seems so foreign at this point it, it's it's like a sad. treat
2: like a yeah, treat a right treat.
0: like i can't wait to go see liz i mean i don't even know what we're gonna talk about it's gonna be so awesome you know
2: yeah it is i mean maybe we appreciate each other more because mm-hmm. of this you now And I hope it doesn't mean we don't see each other as much. I hope people get out back and around more. I think a lot of people, you know, it's been tough on extroverts and better on introverts. Um, But again, Zoom has been great for somebody like me who normally would travel and and go to visit people. Um, You know, I am now able to go visit people in some sense in a way that is actually much more time effective for both me and the person I'm visiting. But is it the same as meeting in person? No, but it's better than nothing. And I think the answer is sometimes you wanna meet in person, sometimes you can meet by Zoom, but it doesn't fully replace that in-person Person meeting and certainly when we've been able to get back in the office and have some social interaction i think everybody's just really appreciated just even yeah. off this chit chat much more than they used to liz
0: you have anything else or else i'm going to give joyce the final two
1: No, you know what, I have enjoyed this conversation because the insights have been fascinating and I'm always so excited when I'm hearing things that I haven't heard before. So I really appreciate you bringing just a whole nother perspective that has been really refreshing and different. So I, I do appreciate you.
2: Well, thank you. I, it's actually been a lot of fun for me too. And again, we, we had big insight earlier together about a world world's empathy. And I yeah. think that is the question going forward. Can we maintain that empathy? It's obviously been a very tough year for everybody um, in the US and abroad. And can we keep that empathy up and and just be kinder and gentler to each other? I've been saying that basically anything you do under COVID, it's sort of like what happens in COVID stays in COVID. Um, Various people (laughs) at various points have had little breakdowns about this or that, the other. And I just let it all slide because it's like, you're not your real self right now. And we're allowed at any point you can have a little breakdown and it's not gonna be held against you later on. Just go ahead and have it. (laughs)
1: Yeah, for sure. Giving each other grace. That's so important. That's so important. So I'm glad you said that because that's a good lesson.
0: It does feel at times outside of maybe some of our political figures that overall kindness has been uh more accepting and more prevalent uh in in a lot of cases and some not okay. others but for the general professional i think i think kindness is is uh an understanding have been elevated so yeah. you know that's uh, hopefully something that sticks around um and jo- joyce um final two questions for you um one easy one not so easy the easy one what did we miss? What else do you want to tell us about Hobart and William Smith Colleges? And number two, what does the future of higher education look like?
2: Oh, a, le- a nice little easy ending question. Well, okay. <laughs> of Winsmith Colleges, everybody should come on up and visit. We are right on the shores of beautiful Seneca Lake, one of the two largest of the Finger Lakes. It is truly gorgeous. I've actually said one of the reasons I came and took this job, uh, because this is my second year as president here now, uh, is because of the natural beauty. And many colleges are put on land that were kind of set aside. They weren't the favorite land, and so people were willing to build the college on it. But this is prime property with just this beautiful view and just a gorgeous setting uh, on the the banks of, of Seneca Lake. And so I I just encourage anybody who hasn't come and seen this beautiful region and our beautiful city and the campus uh, here to come and see it because it is really quite striking. And what's the future of higher ed? I mean, I think as we come out of COVID over the next year, I'm hoping fall will basically be back to pretty much normal. Will that be a new normal in the ways we're talking about? Will we still see hybrid courses? Will we see demand for more types of digital interactions? Uh, The future will tell. I, I think a lot will actually go back to what it was that's that's my prediction Um, But that said, I think we've all been sobered by this and certainly thinking about how you hedge for the future in various ways too. What what are your plans? You know, we certainly now know if we have to pivot for, gosh forbid, another pandemic, we certainly have a playbook now where we did not have a playbook six months ago. And it also told me about both, as we talked about earlier, the resilience of students, but the resilience of institutions, which I also mentioned, the scrappiness of institutions, how they were able basically to pivot, where I think there was a narrative before that higher ed Was slow to change and hard to get to react to things. I think we proved them wrong in spades this year, including basically, you know, many of us pivoting in our case in one week um, in the spring from in person to remote, and everybody else also doing that. And then basically coming up with these plans to reopen this fall. It shows we can move quickly when we need to. And we do need to. I think the answer is that change will continue. Uh, Evolution happens all the time in higher ed. You don't always notice it on a daily basis. But when you look back when I think when I started my teaching career, uh, which started uh, well over 30 years ago, um, that it is so different now. It's like night and day. And you don't see it because it's every year changes a little. And that pace will probably increase even more over the next decade.
0: This episode of the EdUp Experience is sponsored by MDT Marketing. MDT Marketing is a digital marketing agency with a vision of creating education, marketing, and technology programs that improve people's lives. Specializing in student nurturing programs, digital advertising, marketing technology, and digital printing, MDT Marketing's seasoned team is entrusted by higher education institutional leaders to develop personalized communication strategies that are compliant and highlight what differentiates their institutions. Learn more about MDT Marketing at mdtmarketing.com. Hope you enjoyed that episode. To learn more about the EdUp Experience, please visit edupexperience.com and if you want to be in on the live recordings, please sign up for our email list. Go to edupexperience.com and sign up to be a subscriber. We'll let you know how you can listen in live and get the scoop before anyone else does. So, please, as always, feel free to share this podcast, rate, review, and subscribe. We would really, really appreciate that. You've been listening to the EdUp Experience, where we make education your business with your hosts, Dr. Joe Salustio, Elizabeth Liva, and Elvin Freitas.